Welcome back. It's another episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind, that regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. I'm Pastor Dan, and my daughter Bethany is here, and we are currently discussing Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. We've been doing a weekly review, and this week we are reading... From Book 2, Chapter 4, The Perfect Penitent. So that's where we are right now. This is Episode 10, and it's being recorded on May 9th, 2019. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Hope that this is a blessing to you. Don't remember, we don't remember. Don't forget to remember to contact us and visit with us in that Facebook group, Knowing God with Heart and Mind, or sending us emails and so forth. We have... Lots of additional excellent commentary and information there as well. So, Bethany, here we go. This is Book 2, Chapter 4, and The Perfect Penitent. I, that word penitent is something that modern audiences are probably not particularly familiar with. Um, if you're Catholic, you probably know that when you've done your uh, uh, confession, you're usually given penance. That means that you're going to... Uh, somehow try to make things right with God through an act of surrender and sacrifice. A penitent is is uh, in the remember in the old Raiders of the Lost Ark movie from yikes almost 40 years ago or it is about 40 years ago that movie uh, one of the clues to surviving the trials that got him to the Ark of the Covenant, I mean, wrong one. Last Crusade. Last Crusade. It's okay, I figured out where you were going with it. Oh my gosh. He had, yes. His trials that he has to go through in Petra to yep. get... You're doing fine. <laughs> okay. Keep to going. Get, to get to the Holy Grail in Last Crusade. I'm really glad our friends can't see my face right now because I'm embarrassed. That's okay. This is like the fourth time in the last two weeks that I have not had absolute command of my knowledge of such trivial things. <laughs> and that's just, well, God teaching me not to be so proud, no doubt. You so, know what? Yeah. It's okay because it's proof that you trained me really well. <laughs> You're filling in for me here. Well, okay. I have so great taste in movies. Thanks I've to diverted you. myself consistently. <laughs> uh, but through. he, but he does have to. One of one of the things he has to do is like basically hit his knees. Right, and that was the whole point I was trying to get to. Unfortunately, poorly, is in that other movie, The Last Crusade. The one where he has his dad played the by Sean Connery. Best Indiana Jones movie. That was Sorry, really, no, it really was. <laughs> that one was fun, and uh, and one of the things he has to do to avoid getting his head chopped off yep. is to be penitent. And he figures out what it means just in time. Yeah, and and that's all I was trying to get to. But now that I've wasted several minutes talking about that, I th I suppose we ought to get into the question. So this this is chapter four, the perfect penitent, and. And the first question to consider is, considering that uh, that God has landed in enemy-occupied territory, mm -hmm. he came to teach us, of course, but about what? So, can I start by backing up a little and saying that, like, just to add a little more clarification for the title? Since sure. Since not everybody might. So... Well, like I, the I birds, pretty well butchered. Well, no, so I was just gonna say, this. like the bird's eye view of this chapter is kind of about how, like, 
we're supposed to like the the idea of being Christian seems to come down to Jesus was a teacher, and I think this is going to go with question one. Yeah. But what he what Lewis talks about through the whole chapter is that that's like the basic version of what Christianity is, and then if you keep distilling it, you get to actually the most important thing is that this guy who's God, but also human comes to earth. But why? Like, why do you have to do that? And so it ties together with the title because he talks a lot about what repentance means. And I think he does like this chapter I reread twice because I think he does one of the most phenomenal jobs ever of really, really, I like the word distilling today, but that's perfect for this. He really, <laughs> sorry, I just saw her cat out of the corner of my eye. One of the eschatologists <laughs> is trying to get into She's, the I didn't shut the door all the way GHM studios. Anyway, he does a really great job of distilling what repentance means. She made it. And here comes the other one. Um, what repentance means and why we can't actually do it. Right. And it's brilliantly done. And I think that's the title is so significant because the perfect penitent, as we'll find out through our discussion, is Jesus. Like, he's the only one that's possible. He's the only one that is physically human, superhumanly possible for him to be perfectly penitent as much as we might attempt to achieve that. So it's, I, I was fascinated through the whole chapter because I don't think I have ever thought about it in the terms that he talks about in this. So cool. Well, so yeah, thank you because I think you've done a far better job of setting up today's chapter and lesson than I did. And I'm really glad you did. So let me go back to the question just to be clear. So God has landed in our enemy-occupied world to Mm -hmm. teach us, but about what? So I'm going to say that for me looking, I know this is probably not exactly what that answer is going to say on the sheet. But for me, looking at the whole chapter, it's to teach us what it means to be repentant Mm -hmm. and to help us understand this whole idea of atonement because he's going to talk like he's building toward that through the whole chapter mm-hmm. um yeah the new like, testament is chock full of the topic his death and his coming to life again yeah so so the answer so absolutely he came to teach but and i think that's what the apostle paul me i've been thinking about this well for years really but but it's come up in my thought again lately that, you know, when Paul says that we only teach one thing, we teach Christ and Christ crucified. Mm -hmm. And it's such a straightforward statement that we can almost miss what he's really driving at. But it's basically what you just said, what C.S. Lewis has said, is that he didn't come just to teach. He came in order to redeem us, Mm -hmm. to be the perfect penitent, to pay the penalty and set things right as only he could. Yeah. And so Christ crucified sounds kind of cruel, but under the circumstances, as Paul was writing it, it would have been very easy to understand. But what he's saying is, is that we could talk about what he teaches. We could talk about what he did. We, we could talk about all kinds of things. But the only thing about Christ that is really absolutely essential to know is that he died on the cross while he was fully human and fully God, and therefore it was all under his control. Mm -hmm. 
in order to pay the penalty for the sin of humanity and therefore set things right as only he could. So and I think that, that's the essential story. And I think that pulls back into the end of last week's episode and the end of last week's chapter where he was talking about the fact that, like, at the end of the day, it comes down to either this Jesus was crazy, evil, or he's who he says he was. And I think that there's your there's your... There's your proof that he has to be mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Because yeah. nobody else that came and just was a te- that was on earth and just was a teacher did that. So that kind of leads right into the second question, which is that in Lewis's discussion of Christ's death, what are the points that you think are the most important? Well, we kind of touched it on, or, on it already. He's Christ is the only one that can set things right. Right. And that's kind of the essential, that he fulfills the ought that mm-hmm. we've been talking about. And uh, he gives everybody a fresh start by doing that. And, you know, then there's the whole concept of, you know, how, how does uh, how does that whole um, process work? You know, well, that's another matter. And... It's not something that Lewis wants to deal with right this minute. He, he mainly just wants you to understand and believe that the death of Christ is the point in history at which something absolutely unimaginable from outside the universe showed through into the world and that by dying Christ disabled death itself. That's the essence of Christianity. And, and that's the distinctive that Lewis wants to, to make sure we understand mm-hmm. about the nature of Christianity. And, and I think that's a really, you know, it, sometimes, you know, we, we it's, it, as a pastor, I find quite frequently that people are always refreshed. And I'm not, this isn't about me, but it's kind of amazing to me how many times over the last 20, almost 25 years that I will preach from the Bible and teach people the gospel message. And then after a while, people will say, you know, we have, we have been so thirsty for this kind of preaching. We haven't heard this kind of preaching Mm -hmm. in such a long time. And I'm always astonished by that because, you know, I'm not, I, I, listen, I, I just a couple of weeks ago spent time with a bunch of Southern Baptists out in, in Kansas city and, and and God love them. I but I couldn't do what they do. I don't have that style of preaching, you know. So it really comes down. The point I want to make is that it comes down to this truth, not how you tell it. That that it it doesn't matter whether you're a sing songy dancing around the stage preacher with your hands held high, and or whether you're a very sedate kind of Jonathan Edwards standing at the pulpit reading your message. As long as the message is Christ crucified, as mm-hmm. long as it's the gospel, mm-hmm. it's amazing how many people don't get to hear that. They don't hear the gospel. They don't hear the fundamental truth of the gospel. And then, of course, when we teach other fundamentals, like the nature of the Holy Spirit and the idea of being a spirit-filled Christian, I continue to be amazed at how people will come to me afterwards and say, you know, Remember, remember at the last church we were in a few years back, we, I preached a series on the Holy Spirit, and I had people who said, I've been in this church all my life, and mm-hmm. I've never heard a sermon about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking 50 years that somebody was in a church, and they can't remember the last time pre- preaching was given that plainly mm-hmm. about the nature of the Holy Spirit and the Christian 
filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So the whole point I'm trying to make is that it's it, given how essentially important the message of the cross is and given how easy it is to tell. It's not easy to believe, but it's easy to tell. Mm-hmm. You'd think we were telling it all the time. It's almost because it's so darn simple that church people get sidetracked and don't do it. Well, and I think he, I think Lewis kind of talks about that a little at the beginning because he says like, like okay, once you establish that that the main point of Jesus coming to Earth was to be crucified, right. Then Christians, he says, it feels like Christians tend to go into this whole theorizing about why. Right. Like, why do you do it? And I think what you're talking about there is, like, what he's saying. Like, people get too caught up in the minutia. Yeah. Instead of just. Yeah. Instead of just. Propitiation for our sake. Instead of just saying, well, he's Jesus and he came to do this. And he. He goes into what what he thinks is the why, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. But he also says, like, he has a great metaphor where he says, like, it's like when you sit down to eat your dinner. In our day and age, we know that there's all kinds of different vitamins and minerals in our food. But guess what? And obviously he says it much better than I do because he's wonderful at writing. But he says, guess what? Even if you don't know what vitamins and minerals are in your dinner, you're still getting the vitamins and minerals in yeah. your dinner. And I think that that's a really good way to say exactly, like, why it's not necessary to really get stuck in that muck. And again, you have skillfully segued to the next question. Lewis says that being let off or footing the bill may be too simple a theory of what Christ has done for fallen man. Why? Well... For one thing, he says it's too incomplete. Right. Well, and like, I think this is where he really starts to talk about repentance and stuff, too. Because mm-hmm. um, he uses that example of, like, <laughs> well, he like he basically says that he thinks that it's a really silly theory to think that, like, we're being let off of our punishment. Because, like... You can look at it two ways. You can look at it and say, well, like, if you think about it like a court of law, why shouldn't innocent have to be punished for something that someone who is guilty did? But on the other hand, if you think about it like debt, like what you just asked, it's like somebody who's able to foot the bill paying well, off somebody so he else's uses debt. The example, but, sorry. He uses the example. He says that it's not that we need improvement or repair. We are rebels who yes. have to lay down, lay our down arms their arms and surrender. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and... And that's where he talks about... It. Well, he, he says this process of surrender, this movement full speed astern is what Christians call repentance. <laughs> and then I, I wrote a little smiley face under this because I was like, he, I just... I grinned when I read it the first time because he's so blunt, but he's not like scary blunt when he says stuff. But you're still just like... And it's like ironic laughter, I guess. Because then he says, now, repentance is no fun at all. (laughs) Like, yeah. That's right. (laughs) That's true. Like, um, and he says, like, it's much harder than just eating humble pie. Like, it's. Well. And uh, I love how he. To stay with the analogy of the rebel laying down his arm. First thing you have to admit is that you're losing. Right. (laughs) 
I mean, you know, if you're a rebel, you then have to your fundamental goal is to accomplish the overthrow of the person or entity that you're rebelling against. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't begin to rebel. That's what's a, that's kind of what's amazing about rebellion anyway, I or civil war, whatever you want to call it, is if you look at, like, like when we're watching the news and we're thinking, you know, why don't those people just stand up and overthrow that crazy dictator? Well, I'm sure they think about it. But by the time you get to the point where you can successfully rebel against this dictator, you got to really believe you're going to be able to pull it off because otherwise it's just suicide. Mm -hmm. So with that mindset, if a person is rebelling against God and rebelling against their creator, um, then the first thing that has to happen is, is they have to understand that they're losing. You know, I remember one of my first sermons that I ever preached was, was right after the Titanic movie came out. Well, it wasn't one of my first sermons. It was one of my first good sermons that I ever preached. It was a few years into my ministry, but it was when I started getting better at it. And that Titanic movie came out, and I just said, it's like, it's like the rich people on the Titanic. They didn't even know the ship was going down. You know, now there were people down in steerage in the lower decks who were already dying because the floodwaters had already gotten into their part of the ship but the people up on top you know didn't even know the ship was sinking and and I, I just made the analogy that you know you don't even know you're in trouble but you're in terrible trouble I mean you are in grave trouble and it's a little in impossible to wrap your mind around it because once you realize how much trouble you're in you also have to reconcile with the fact that at some point in the very near future, you're going to be watching the ship that you're on go under the water and disappear. And then what happens to you? And so I, that was the way I preached it at Crandall, Indiana, you know, back in the, the 90s. And I just and, had a memory related to that movie and a person from Crandall. It, I shouldn't share right now, but I just thought about something that I don't think I've I've told you before. Okay, off air, you yes, can tell I'll me. I'll share all about that with that. you. <laughs> of course, I remember Saving Private Ryan also came out around then, hmm. and there was a guy in that church who had been at at uh, Omaha Beach, mm-hmm. and he was a seventeen year old, and and you know had lied to get in the army, and and. Uh, when he'd heard how realistic the opening sequence was for that movie, he said, I don't want to see it. And I said, why don't you want to see it? And he says, I've already seen it Mm -hmm. and smelled it and tasted it. So that is one of the toughest opening scenes of any movie I've ever seen. So, you know, I'm just saying, you know, we, you know, we can, we can think of a lot of things we've learned from people in the churches we've served, Mm -hmm. but, but some of the things we've learned are pretty remarkable. Um, to say the least but anyway so getting back to the to the question of basically um the idea is the surrender yeah and so this part when he starts talking about repentance is why i went back and reread it a couple of times because i don't think i've ever thought about repentance the way he is talking about it that's the next question okay sorry i'll wait i just thought i'd help you (laughs) because the next question is the process surrender and repentance is a kind of death yeah. Or killing part of yourself. So what is meant? Uh, what is meant by only a bad person needs to repent? Yeah. Only a good person can repent perfectly. Yeah. What do you mean, mean by that? Well, that, that's where you were headed. That part was blowing my mind because he talks about how like you basically have to let go of all of your like self-absorption mm-hmm. that we have built up over thousands of years at this point sure and 
Well, and I've he always says, like, described that as the essence of sin. Yes. What what is and I'm not going to do the long version, but what what is Satan's problem? He's so He's prideful. really he's really his fundamental problem is is that he was a created being who at some point thought that he could be God better than God. I mean, he he's a created so creature. He's a creature who thinks that he can thumb his nose at the creator. Yeah. And not only that, but he actually thinks he's better than the creator. And that's his problem. And so he's so mad with his self-absorbed, uh, you know, narcissism or whatever you want to call it. And, and so he's like the ultimate in self-absorbed. He's like a black hole. All light gets sucked in by him because that's all he can do is absorb light and yeah. joy and energy because he needs it wants it craves it and he actually is the the ultimate in vanity and therefore what is sin mm -hmm. it's rebellion against god and the best definition of rebellion against god is to say that your self-interest your worldview everything being the way you think it should be justice truth whatever th these are all sins this is the ultimate rebellion against God is to yeah. just be, you know, to be irreverent and, and to, to render God irrelevant. Uh, it's like the whole uh, creation versus evolution. And I'm talking about the ideologies, not the science. The ideology of some of the evolution people is nothing less than a wholesale rebellion against God. They want to make it clear that God shouldn't be credited with anything in creation. And they're more obsessed with trying to discredit God than they are with proving some science. And so, guess what? That's sin right up there with old Lucifer himself. So mm -hmm. you were saying. Uh, so I just, he talks about how like, basically only a perfect person can perfectly repent which then you're kind of like okay so and like what do you do and he says like that the really wild thing that you then think about is like that god doesn't require repentance oh, he does but like he he doesn't require you to repent for him to take you back but he says, like, it's that repentance is really just a description of what going back to God is like. Like, it's not it's not something he requires, but it's what's, like, got to happen. Yeah. And, but what I think is really wild is, like, you, we can't, you can't, because he also says, like, if you ask God to take you back into his fold without repentance then like it doesn't work because you can't you're you're asking to go back without actually going back so it's kind of like when people say that they're going to start a diet and they eat salad for lunch but then they're like i ate salad for lunch so now i'm gonna have a cookie because i earned it like it's going back it's, it's saying you're doing one thing but you're not really you know what i mean you know i just and, had an idea for our next study <laughs> Now, I've got to find the right material because I want to introduce a Wesleyan concept here. So I've often said that I'm not a very good United Methodist, but I am pretty devoted to the Wesley way of, of 
organizing our religious activity and and the Wesleyan doctrinal standards and so forth. I, here's what's really striking me about this, because if I could use this Wesleyan way of putting it, it might help. Wesley would say that a unrepentant, degenerate person is so far from God that the only hope they have is that God hasn't given up pursuing them, which is what he calls prevenient grace. Mm-hmm. And as I read what C.S. Lewis is saying, he's basically saying that the more you, the, the greater the goodness in you, the more understanding you have of how sinful you are. Mm-hmm. So as you move closer to God, you become much more aware of your sin. And the earnestness of your repentance becomes even greater. Mm-hmm. So, so that's sort of moving from being mindlessly oblivious to how much you offend God or how your behavior is, is an act of rebellion so what Wesley would say is, is that without prevenient grace, how would that unrepentant sinner ever come into a relationship with God? But God is constantly blowing the foghorn, constantly shining the light across the abyss. You know, he's always, God is always sending a message out that he's ready to receive you. And, and it's sort of a work of the Holy Spirit. So I was just thinking that might be a fun one to follow this up with, mm-hmm. just a, like a basics of Wesleyan Christianity um, might be fun, because mm-hmm. especially for our friends who are part of our church, because they're always, uh, well, they haven't lately, but, but quite often when I first came, people were saying, I want to know more about Wesley. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, well, so not then... a history lesson on John Wesley, but just... <laughs> the teachings of John Wesley and how they affect the way we interpret Both could be good, our though. religious activity. So, yeah, we'll have to look at that. We, we could do it like we did with this. We mm-hmm. could start with an overview because we did a little sort of in our intro episode, we did a little mm-hmm. like here's here's old Jack, you know, um, and, and we, we I think if you haven't heard the first episode, you should go back and listen to it because it'll give you a better understanding of who C.S. Lewis is. Mm-hmm. Well, we'd probably do that with John and Charles Wesley. We'd say, well, here's John and Charles Wesley, introductory episode, overview, and now let's get into the things that Wesley taught us and why we still hold them. So anyway, this seems like a good way to tie Wesley and C.S. Lewis together simply mm-hmm. because I think they kind of match. So he keeps... Like, he keeps building toward... Because we haven't gotten to why we need Jesus to step in yet. How does and he God keeps, become... How does God becoming a man help to resolve the problem? So, he keeps building... Like, he gives this... Um, another great metaphor where he talks about, like, when you're a child and you're learning to write. Usually, and and having taught kindergarten for four months this school year, I can say, absolutely, this is something you have to do a lot with beginning writers an adult will come along and kind of guide their hand. And he describes how, like, God, we love and reason because God loves and reasons and he's guiding that. So then he says, but how, like, the thing we need the most help with is surrendering and repenting, and God can't do that. We need help with something that God can't do because God's perfect. He can't so surrender Jesus and repent. So becoming a man. So we need Jesus because if, and he says, like, suppose that God becomes a man that can suffer and die all of a sudden we have fully God, fully human, but somebody who can step in and, and I, my different color, you know, Mm -hmm. he said, 
he could surrender his will and suffer and die because he was a man and he could do it perfectly because he was God, which is what we needed. Yep. And, and you know, so if we were going to, we're not ready to summarize because <laughs> we have one more question, but, but already two really simple summary statements is it's all about the gospel. Yeah. And the gospel basically is a statement that a God man the very son of God, the very God, our creator in human flesh is the only one that can do it. I mean, that that's the message. That mm-hmm. The message is that it's only through Jesus the Christ that this can happen. Yeah. Well, that was, so that part was one of those, like, I felt like I had one of those meme moments where my head did the whole, like, explosion like mind blown type things because I don't think I ever thought about the fact that like that God can't that it, that God had to become a man in order to save us mm-hmm. like it was like I don't like that sounds really simple but I don't think I ever thought about that you know like John three sixteen God so loved the world that He sent His only Son I don't think I ever thought about how it's actually like God so loved the world that the only way He could fix it for us was to become one of us well so so god the preeminent father is the creator and therefore is separate from right. the created thing and i just don't like, which is why lucifer's rebellion is so absurd right because he's a created being only god is separate from everything that god created so how does god solve the problem of sin by joining right and the I, created order and like i said it sounds really simple but i don't th- like tw- well let's say 25 mm, 20 to 25 years of like kind of understanding what church is all about cuz i feel like i was able to comprehend fairly young like the point you had a real point. adult christian moment there but yeah like all of a sudden i was like oh like as I was reading it the first time, I was like, I don't think I've ever thought about the fact that, like, this was the only way that it could happen. Because God can't actually, because he's perfect. Like, there's no way. And and not that Jesus wasn't, because Jesus was still perfect, but he was still fully human. And, and he was able to step into that. And a person who has grown up in a uh, other religion, and I mean, like, other than Judeo-Christian tradition, if they can get their mind around this concept, because because just take someone who is genuinely convinced that there is a God, and yet some might have a completely wrong view of God, you know, might name God by some other term and actually be describing the enemy of God for all we know. But, but it, it, the point is, is that can you see how people universally could come to an understanding of the significance of Christ if they could just wrap their mind around that one idea mm-hmm. that, yeah, you know, if, if you can believe that this is a created world, created universe, then the question you have to ask yourself is, is, is what would the creator do about a creation that had gone wacky and needed to be corrected? Yeah. You know, that, that, that's a concept that crosses cultural and religious divides and language divides Mm -hmm. i think anyway well and then i just kind of sat back for a second and i was like gosh and i'm pretty sure that jack lewis would probably be so not not like 
I don't think he'd be upset with me, but he would. He was a humble person, and he called himself a layman. Like, he did not think that he was, like, some kind of brilliant Christian scholar. But, oh my gosh, I sat back and I was like, he built this up so brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Like, talking about pantheism and all of these different things. And then he's like, boom, dynamite. Mm-hmm. God is separate from creation, therefore he can't fix it unless he joins us. And I like, I sat back and was like, man, like, well, it's probably important to remember that he was an atheist. Yeah. He's describing the process of having his mind and heart changed. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that his humility is very genuine because of Mm -hmm. that. He's just, but, but he just so brilliantly, like, and I'm sure it's going to continue through the rest of the book, but he just brilliantly builds on each mm-hmm. idea. And, yeah. All right, last question. It's great. What response does Lewis give to those who complain that churches, or excuse me, that Christ's suffering and death were easier because he was both God and man? He says, yeah, actually, probably. That's like saying that it's easier for the teacher to make letters on the board than it is for the kid. Because the teacher grew up and learned how to do that. You're right. Yeah. And I just love that. Or, like, he also he also has this one where he says something about, like, if you're in a river drowning and there's a man on the shore who can help you and mm-hmm. he, like, steps one foot into the water but keeps one foot on the shore and you're like, you're cheating, you have an advantage. Like, the guy is trying to save you. Yeah. So. It's Okay. It's okay that he has an advantage. So that's, I mean, I think that's brilliant too. Like, yeah, it was a little easier maybe. But also you, I mean, this isn't in the book, but you've talked in sermons and you and I have talked about like, it was easy right up until it wasn't. Sure. It was easy right up until he felt totally separated from God. Yeah. And had to do it the human way because he was separate from God at that point. Yeah. So yeah, it was easy right up until it wasn't. Yeah. And, and he I, still had to have immense strength of will. I really appreciate you saying that because I've often said that, that there comes a point in this process where it's pretty evident that in order to bear our sin, he now has to be separated from God in the same way that we're separated from mm-hmm. God by our sin. And at that moment, whether it's on the cross or in the garden or whatever, He's as vulnerable before sin as we are Mm -hmm. and separated from God in a way that we don't understand, but that would have been beyond our comprehension for him to have suffered. And so, yeah, it's so it was easy until it wasn't. Right. And then it was the hardest thing that has ever been done, the hardest suffering that's ever been suffered Mm -hmm. and all for our sake. Well, and then he says... And this is where he kind of starts, like, I mean, like, last paragraph starts kind of, he mentions atonement. Because he says, like, why would, why, why would you look to a someone, something or someone weaker than you for help? Like, you should mm-hmm. be looking to something that's stronger than yourself. And he yeah. says, and like, that's his own way of looking at atonement. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Um, so... As always, he blows my mind. and It's good stuff. I'm never not going to love C.S. Lewis, I think. Well, one day we will speak to him face to face and say thanks, so. Jack. 
what do you have? Anything else to add to this? Or you pretty you've been quite articulate today, and I'm thankful for <laughs> Thank that. Thank you. Well, you always are, but since I've been, you know, kind of, <laughs> at least I opened pretty rough. Well, well, we have one more chapter in this book, yep. and then we move on to book three. Okay. So. So do your reading, folks, and do your homework, and then, of course, I give you this assignment every week, and some of you aren't listening. <laughs> and this could affect your grade at the end of the semester. Mm. Participation points. That's You're, you're going to lose on the participation <laughs> point. Now, some of you are getting bonus points. <laughs> In fact, if, if I've got a finite number of points, then I'm going to have to give your points to the ones who are contributing if you don't hurry up and contribute. So join the Facebook conversation. If you're not a Facebook person, I understand. You can email me, email me, and I will share your thoughts. And you know, but uh, just visit the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook group. And uh, if not that, then give us an email. Send us an email by way of the church's website, which is, by the way, new and improved in certain ways. You'll have to explore to discover what I mean. And uh, also, there's a Shiloh Church app that you can get now that is off the chains. We had one before that was pretty good, but the new one is really, really terrific. It is good. What are you laughing at? You just said off the chains, and I just kind of lost it. I don't even know where I got that. I don't know either. No, heaven help me if I used that one wrong. I don't <laughs> know. No, you didn't use it wrong. It was just really I really... I, I think I think our new app is really nifty. <laughs> That's worse. Go and, back to off the chain. And and it's really swell. <laughs> and uh, so, you know. It's, it's lit. It's lit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing, that might be old now, too. I don't nothing know. Nothing janky about it at all. No. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, you can get that new app. And this is, this is really because it's being announced on Sunday morning and this is Thursday. So here's good news. If you're listening to this, you get advanced notification. Go to the app store. Better yet, get your smartphone out and type Shiloh app. S-H-I-L-O-H-A-P-P 277977. Shiloh, your messages, like text messages. Like, like a text message. So open your smartphone, go like, you're going to send a text message and type Shiloh app to 77977. And you'll get the brand new super duper Shiloh app. And I mean, this baby is loaded. I've, I can confirm because I've been beta testing it and it is real nice. It's really great. You'll be able to listen to this through mm -hmm. your Shiloh app. Mm hmm. You'll be able to see notes and things, and, uh, and, and in the not-too-distant future, we'll be able to share conversations that way, too. So really excited about that. So thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget, you can learn about all of these things if, if you want. You know, if you're listening to this on your smartphone, then you've already heard the, the new best way to do it. But listen, you can also visit us anytime at shilohum.org, S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M. Dot org and uh, that's where you can easily send me an email and don't forget the Facebook group. We love you. Thanks for listening. God bless you and goodbye.